How many of you grew up in church? That's a bunch of church people in here. I didn't grow up in church. I grew up in the other side of the tracks, and or those days it was called the other side of the tracks in Antioch, Tennessee, and uh, we didn't go to church. There were churches over there, but we didn't go. And uh, so my high school career uh, pretty much consisted of hell raising and beer drinking and fighting every weekend. And um, can you say that in church? I just did. I guess it's too late. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's you know, what I knew, uh, my background, and um, pretty good at all of that. I developed those skills thoroughly, <laughs> and um, took off the University of Tennessee, and was going through school, and I met this pretty girl, and talked her into marrying me, and um, so Sharon and I got married, and we came home to Nashville after we graduated, and started off our lives, and when we got home, we'd been married just a few months, and or maybe a month even, and Sharon decided she was a Baptist. Um, I didn't know this. Um, it had never come up before, but apparently when she was a kid, she was a Baptist, and when she went to college, well, anyway. Um, but uh, I, I didn't know. And, and so she decides we're going to church, and she gets up one Sunday morning and says, we're going to church, and I said, we aren't doing anything. I'm staying home drinking beer and watching football. Um, there's a lot of beer in this story. But... Um, <laughs> And uh, so she goes and finds some Baptist church. I'm not sure. I think it was Judson, I believe, is where she ended up going over there on uh, Franklin Road. And um, she continued to do that uh, for several months there after we got married. And she would go in, and she'd cry, and she'd be mad at me because I wouldn't go. And, and then she would tell me that the elders were praying for, for me, which in my mind that means that there was this big gathering of people praying for her heathen husband. And so um, that's probably fairly accurate actually but <laughs> so I got fired from my job which I probably deserved I'm still not sure why I got fired from that job but I got fired and um, I took a job selling houses uh, for Radnor Homes at Hearthstone over here on Olicker Boulevard uh, this was so long ago that Hearthstone was new that tells you how long ago this was I was in my 20s I'm in my 50s so um, I took a job there and the guy running Radnor Homes for the whole city of Nashville um, was a character. Matter of fact, he's still a character. He's a good friend of mine to this day, 30 years later. And he, matter of fact, he attends fellowship at Brentwood. His name's Etzel Charles. And uh, Etzel was running it. And as soon as I got to work there, the, some of the guys told me, said, you know, the guy runs this place, he, the regional guy here, he's a Christian. And I'm like, oh, brother. Because I grew up in Middle Tennessee, you know, everybody in Middle Tennessee. There's more Baptists than people in Nashville, you know what I'm talking about. So um, everybody's a Christian here. And, um, you know, we are talking about that difference in Phoenix a while ago backstage. And, you know, you know, in Nashville you go, what do you do where you go to church? You know, that, that's just like your standard thing. And in Phoenix you would never do that in a million years. It's just different culture. So anyway, this guy is, uh, he's pretty open with his faith. He's not... He's kind of a weird guy, but he's just not, he's not icky about it. And so, like, he's trying, you know, he'd be around, he'd just drop something about Jesus into a conversation in a way where it actually fit, you know, not like he had to force it in, you know. And so, like, he was telling me, he said, that year, that year he won National Home Builder of the Year. And we were building houses there. That was the first houses in Nashville I had ever seen. I'm pretty sure they were the first ones in Nashville that had the master bedroom on the other end of the house from the other bedrooms right? And it had the big tub and the skylights. The first time I'd ever seen, you know, that kind of idea. And so we're walking through and he goes, 
this bedroom, the way I've got it laid out, is all about privacy and the kids are on the other end of the house. This is all about romance for people's marriage. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, this is awkward. I don't want to have this conversation. And he goes, and it's in the Bible. And I went, yeah, okay, that's good. He said, that's where I figured it out. He said, there's the greatest love story ever written in the Bible. It's called Song of Solomon. You ought to read it sometime. And I went, yeah. And, uh, but he kept doing that the whole time I worked there. And we were, I watched him handle conflict, you know, because when you're building houses for people, you get to see them at their worst. It's kind of like being a dentist, you know. I mean, they're not, it's, they're not happy usually. And so we got to go through all these things together. And I watched how he handled folks when they were twisted up and misbehaving and things. And he was always kind, but he wasn't, he wasn't a wuss. I mean, he didn't fold. It was interesting. So I quit that job because I, I had gotten into one of these multi-level things, and I was in this multi-level thing for about 20 minutes, which is required in your 20s, if you didn't know, um, that you do at least 20 minutes in a multi-level. And so I did that, and one of my beer-drinking buddies had got me into this thing. I told you there's a lot of beer in this. And we would, we would go to uh, afternoon happy hour, he and I would, and uh, drink all afternoon uh, and uh, try to figure out how to, we could advance our business. Which is kind of like a bunch of kids in the woods smoking pot trying to find the meaning of life. It ain't there, you know? And so we had no idea it was our character or lack thereof that was causing us to not advance our business, right? So, um, but anyway, these two 20-something-year-old idiots get in the car, and we go to Birmingham and uh, to one of the rah-rah, one of the pep rally things, you know, that they do. And so we're at the Alabama Theater in Birmingham, and we sat there all day long with all these speakers coming up and telling you how to do the business and how you could get rich and live the dream if you did the business, and you've heard all that stuff. And, and uh, the last guy was the guy we really wanted to hear because he was the big dog, the big dog on the porch, the one that was making the most money. And if, we knew if we could talk to him that he had magic fairy dust and would make us rich, you know, that guy. And, and so he had credibility with us big time. And, you know, they always put their checks up on the screen. They're making $842,000 a minute or whatever it is, you know. You know how they do that stuff. And so um, he gets up, and we had written down, on the way to Birmingham, we'd written out five questions we had. And we said, if we could get these five questions answered, we would be able to do this business. We would be rich. We'd be able to live our dreams. <laughs> so this guy gets up, and it was almost like we had mailed in our five questions for his outline. As he's speaking, he goes like, one, two, three, four. He's up there an hour, hour and a half. We're mesmerized. Five, I mean, we're two redneck kids up in the balcony watching this guy. And we're like, we got it all. We got the keys. We know what to do now. And then he goes, and there's one more. And we went, no, there's not. We got all five. It's okay. And I and he said, no, there's one more thing. He said, if you don't know God, you need to get in touch with this man named Jesus because it'll change your character. And until you have high-quality character, you'll never be successful in business. And I went, say what? I had never heard anybody say that. And we wrote that down, and me and my buddy... <laughs> We go back to the hotel room, and we get out the Gideon's Bible. <laughs> of course, it's, it's old King James, right? So it's Shakespeare and Jesus. You know, there's no chance these two rednecks are going to figure this out, right? I mean, we're going through, we just finally, we just closed it and put it back in the door. We had no idea. And I came home, I told my wife, I said, we're going to church. And she said, who are you and what have you done with my husband? And we started visiting a couple of churches, and we ended up finding a church that we, after three or four stops, that we could sit on the back row and sneak in and nobody would see us and we could sneak out 
and nobody, we didn't have to deal with the Christians, we could just go to church. And it's Christ Church over on Ohicker Boulevard. It was about this size when we started attending there. It later grew to about 7,000 folks while we were there. And uh, these people were raising their hands like they knew the answer to a question or something, you know. <laughs> and I told Sharon, I said, if they get out snakes, I am leaving. I'm just, I'm out of here. I am done. This is, these, these the women in the choir sway in and I'm like, Ugh, you know. But that, that pastor, Pastor Hardwick and his wife then, she's since passed away, Montel, hugged that 23-year-old couple into the kingdom. And we were baptized there. I was. And um, learned the Bible there. I mean, really learned the Bible. Because I didn't know anything. Preacher would be saying, you know, when they, you know when they threw Joseph in the hole? And I'm like, I have no idea who Joseph is. I have no idea whether it was a hole. I did not know. <laughs> did not know. So I'd go home and look it up. The best Bible studies you'll ever do, by the way, in case you didn't know, is when you're mad. Um, that's why Prof and I get along, because we argue. And that's how I learn most, is when I get in a good argument with somebody. And... Um, because I have to argue with him because sometimes he's wrong. And so um, <laughs> we were arguing even in Israel about something one time. It was funny. People are looking at us like we lost our minds. But uh, that's how I learned. So it worked good. You know, a friend of mine that goes to church here asked me a passive-aggressive question the other day, which if you're not from the South, that's generally how we communicate. Um, <laughs> we make a statement in the form of a question that we really is not a question, it's passive-aggressive. And so he, he, he said, what does Fellowship Bible do to evangelize the unsaved? Now, this is him to me, and so it's a passive-aggressive question because really what he was stating was he didn't think we were doing enough. That's really what he was saying, wasn't it, underneath that. To which I gave him a passive-aggressive question back. That's the proper thing to do. I said, how many people have you led to Jesus this year? started an interesting thought pattern. You know, I get a little bit defensive sometimes when people pick on churches because I speak in churches all across America, all over the place, every brand and, you know, thing. And I see a lot of really good work being done for the cause of Christ, and I see some characters out there too. But, um, you know, anytime somebody wants to pick on the church, I know church is full of people, and so it's chaotic. It's a mess. Church is just a mess. And if you hadn't figured that out yet, church is a mess. Um, and that's why God puts us in here, to learn from each other. But when people just want a blanket statement, punch the church, I get a little defensive. So that's why I kind of came back on him. But then I got thinking about, you know what? I know the DNA of this place. I know how it was built. We've been here. Sharon and I have been in this church for 10 years. I mean, we go up at uh, Brentwood, but we've been here for a long time. We know how this thing started. And I know what the evangelistic outreach program is. And it's really the only one that works, by the way. It's you. You're it. It's me. Because people like Edsel Charles interfacing with someone who doesn't know Jesus in the marketplace, people like that guy who walked on the stage and wore his faith on his sleeve in a, way where, in a situation where he had credibility and could influence two little redneck kids in the balcony that he didn't even know were up there, those are the people who lead people to Jesus more than any church program will ever do in a million years. Well, granted, we joined a church, and we had a pastor teach us and love us, and we took more formal steps with our faith. 
but I might theologically argue with you that I was saved by the time I walked through the back door because I'd already accepted the Lord. It was the rest of this mess I hadn't accepted when I walked in the very first day because of people like you, people like me out there in the highways and byways. So our pastors, we were trying to arrange my schedule and their schedule and everything else to get me. So we booked this, me talking about eight months ago, and then these guys in their brilliance decided to teach Revelation with me up here. I mean, this is just, there's one of these things is not like the other. It's a Sesame Street moment. So, um, but I did, I searched, I found a scripture so I can kind of fit in. Okay, so, um, um, and they overcame him, Revelations 12, 11, meaning Satan or the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their, say it with me, the word of their testimony. testimony. Say it again. Your story has the power to overcome Satan. My story. And, you know, it, it overcomes the world, too. It's really interesting stuff. You know, we do a lot of online marketing now, and I know a lot of you do that, and I've got all these folks on my team that are way smarter than me about that kind of stuff, but all of the data tells us if you do business-to-consumer sales on, with an online store or online marketing of any kind, if you do not have reviews, like four-star reviews, five-star, you know, the ability to review the product line and the service um, and testimonials and comments, to, to the extent you don't have those with online, there's no testimony, sales will be off anywhere from 20 to 37%, depending on your price point, product line, and the people you're selling to. But it's, it's substantial enough that if you're in that business, you have to put your reviews up. My wife decides what movie she's going to see based on the reviews. I do too, except I'm a contrarian, so it's the one I automatically go if Hollywood says it's a bad movie. So, and when they love it, I'm always worried. But, um, but she just like, oh, it's got five stars. I'm like, who's that? It's some goob put a star down there. I mean, but testimonials are powerful. People believe testimonies. Yelp for a restaurant. They believe them. Testimonies are powerful. My old pastor used to say, I think this is the reason. A man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an opinion. You see, you can't really argue with me about my testimony. We can, we can split hairs theologically. Uh, we can decide if Dallas Theological's got it figured out or not. You know, we can, um, you know, we can, we can have all kinds of fun with all that kind of stuff. We can, we can discuss social issues in the light of the gospel. We can discuss, you know, abortion or whatever you want to bring up that's controversial. We can go all those places and you can argue all day long, but you really can't argue with me about my story. It's my story. And I will tell you this, Jesus has changed my life because I know where I came from. I know that I'm a lot different husband today than I was when I started this stuff. We've been married 33 years. Sharon will tell you, we've had 25 good years of marriage. (laughs) And that's largely on my back. I mean, we had some work to do, y'all. You can learn how to be married. Jesus can intersects your life it changes the trajectory of your life it did mine i didn't know how to raise kids i mean look at how i was raised i was raised like an animal or something (laughs) 
I didn't know how to do that. I didn't, you know, I'm in here going, how do you raise kids? It's got, you know, my, my, my kids are going, Dad, what's this rod stuff? And I'll go, come here, baby, I'll show you. Um, <laughs> look, you have to learn how to live. Jesus has changed my life. There's not a question. I'm where I am. Everything good came there. I mean, I, I'm, it's not false humility. It's just practical fact. And if you don't agree with that, you're, what's, you're just wrong because it's not your story. You don't get to have an opinion. A man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an opinion. That's my story. It's not debatable. It's powerful for that reason. That's why testimonies matter. It's my story. It's where I come from. So since I met God in the marketplace with a couple of guys wearing their faith on their sleeve in a winsome attractive kind of a way. I'm real sensitive about that. And so I've thought about it a lot and how I live my life and how powerful it is as an evangelistic tool or a a tool to help people in their walk. My wife is a um, workout fanatic, um, which is a wonderful thing if, uh, as a wife, because she has zero body fat, so it's ridiculous. And so she goes to the Y like too much. And um, she got this group of girls down there that she, got, like they run together, a little running herd, you know, they, they run together. And, um, and she comes home from that, and she's got this juicer, and she juices things that God did not intend to be put together. But it's gross, y'all. I mean, it's, uh, it looks awful. And she juices all this shake up, and then she goes, you want something? I'm like, no, I can smell it from here. I, do not want, I don't even want to be in the room with it. It's like you can probably run power for a city off of that. It looks like nuclear waste. And so um, it's just awful. And she drinks it and smiling. And then and it's just it's coated in the glass. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's, ooh. The funniest thing happens, though, she sets that glass in the sink and turns on the hot water. And walks away and starts doing something else in the kitchen or maybe goes down to the other house, changes out of her workout clothes or whatever. And, and, you know, that toxic waste is in that glass, y'all. But that warm, clean water going into that glass does the strangest thing in just a very short period of time. The video is only 33 seconds long. In a short period of time, the clean water displaces the crud. The crud is boiled out. The filth is boiled out. It is replaced by clean, displaced by clean. So I think Edsel Charles was probably displacing bad bosses. And the guy on the stage had credibility. Three guys before that had a potty mouth. I mean, nasty, nasty up there. We, you know, more like we talked, but we didn't key into that guy. We keyed into the other guy for our information. Strange how that works. You displace. When you take up space in the marketplace, in the community, even in your home, and you are living a righteous, clean life, you are by definition taking up space. There's not room for crud then. So by definition, when I'm on the radio three hours in the afternoon, Howard Stern's not. Because no one else can be right then on that station that I'm on. You can't play two over the top of each other. It makes no sense. So Howard's not on anything anymore but satellite. But that's still 
we're taking up space, putting something out there that's associated with the gospel that's clean. Now, you may or may not like it. You may or may not like my style. That, that's not the point. The, the, the point is that something having to do with God's kingdom is taking up space. You're something to do with God's kingdom, and you're taking up space. And you have the ability to displace, if you're conscious of it, and take up room. And, you know, it turns out we don't have to shout down the other side in these arguments. Some of these folks out there in the culture have lost their minds. And I just, I, I have the gift of argument. My, I have a spiritual gift of confrontation. I want to argue about it. And, and I mean, that's why I'm on talk radio, probably, right? And, and, but, you know, I have never met anybody that was argued into Jesus, that was yelled at or picketed until they met Jesus. I've never met anybody that did that. I've led some people to the Lord, quite a few. I've never yelled at one. Cause them to, you're so stupid. I want to say that sometimes, and you do too. But it's not. I got a friend named Nancy Alcorn. Nancy decided 35 years ago she was not going to picket abortion clinics. Instead, she was going to give girls who had gotten pregnant an option. She took up space. And so she opened a home where she provides all the medical care and a safe place full of Bible study for a girl that's pregnant to go and carry the baby to full term and then put it up for adoption or take it home, whichever she chooses, the girl chooses. And she said, I think I'm going to save more babies that way than I will standing in front of an abortion clinic. If you want to stand in front of the clinic, I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying I think Nancy's probably doing more. It's okay. And now she's got homes all over the world, and one of them's right here in Brentwood. We've been friends a long time. She's taking up space. And you know, the other thing is, we can't be icky Christians if we're taking up space. Y'all ever meet icky Christians? My friend Michael Jr. says, people that are oversaved. You ever meet these people that are oversaved? Like every, they're like a fortune cookie. Everything you read, they have to put, and Jesus. Like completely inappropriate in the sentence, you know? And, and it has nothing to do, and Jesus, or, and God. You left God out. They're on Twitter, these people. They, no matter what, I can tweet something, and he goes, you left out Jesus. It was a car lease I was tweeting about. Jesus was not involved. I mean, everybody tries to force Jesus into something, you know. He's not there. Michael says, he says, you know, you ever just stand around and go, I'm thirsty? And they go, you should be thirsty for the kingdom. That kind of people. You know what I'm talking about? Or, or I've lost my keys. You should be after the keys to the Lord. The keys to the kingdom. What? These are the kind of people that would not use a dirt devil in their house. They're oversaved. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Little too weird. So I think there's three areas we can displace, you and I, for those of you that take notes. The first area is, is personally. How we behave personally. It takes up space. I had a bunch of rental property years ago in my 20s before I went broke and had to start over and all this stuff, another story. But most of it was in East Nashville and North Nashville. And this was so long ago, East Nashville and North Nashville weren't cool. This was a bunch of low. But I had some nice property down this way that wasn't junky. And uh, I had one uh, nice house over on Toby Lynn Drive, which is over there in Brentiac, um, like up behind Christ Church, off of Edmondson Pike, kind of over in there, right? And uh, it was a 2,000-square-foot brick rancher, nice house. Nice full basement under it and 
good two-car garage. And, and I had it up for rent, and this real estate agent called me and said, hey, you want to rent the house? I said, well, yeah, that's why we got a sign out there. And he said, well, I've got some people that want to, um, want to move in it, but there's a couple problems. See, this was so long ago, y'all, that Nissan, the plant, the, the manufacturing plant, Nissan, at Smyrna was brand new. Okay, so 30 years ago. And so the guy says, this, this couple that wants to move in, are, they're Japanese. They've just moved here. They're one of the executives with Nissan, and they don't speak English. And I said, well, I don't care if they speak English. Do they, is their money green? Yeah, can they pay me? Yeah, yeah. I said, I don't take, you know, yen. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I have to take dollars, but, I, you know, we'll figure this out. And so he goes, I said, he said, well, it's not a problem that they don't speak English. And I said, well, probably. I mean, he said, well, there's an interpreter, and within three months, they'll speak passable English because they learn really fast when they come into a culture. And he said, by the time they're here two to three years before they go back home, their children will speak better English than yours. And I said, well, that's probably true. And <laughs> so we go over there to meet, and these people walked up on my front porch, and they took off their shoes to walk into my house. This is like a landlord's dream. Y'all know what I'm saying? When they moved into the house, y'all, it was nicer than when they moved in it, when we went to do the inspection. When they left, they left it nicer than when they moved in it. Their rent was five to ten days early for the entire three years that they lived in the house. It was awesome. I'm not real smart, y'all, but after three or four months, I called this agent. I go, have you got any more of these? I got some more houses. This is the kind of tenant I want. You know, we ended up renting to 10, 12, 15 Japanese families over the years, and, and every one of them were that way, except one. One guy's wife was crazier than a bean. But the rest of them, rest, it, was, it was unbelievable. These pe people had an incredible testimony. Witness made me want to know more about them and do business with more people like them. Because of the way they behaved. I, I hope when folks come in contact with us at our company that they have that kind of, after doing business with us, that they say, I want to know more. I want some more of those. Is there anybody else out there that acts like that? That does stuff that's weird like that? That has a hu humility of, you know, not afraid to open a box or carry something or pick up trash or not afraid to serve, not, a, not got a need blue M&Ms in the green room attitude, you know, that kind of stuff. I want to know more about those people. And, you know, personally displacing, it's, it's, it's simple stuff, y'all. It's stuff like, if you know Jesus, I know we have bad times in our lives. Sharon and I have had plenty of bad times in our lives, okay? But, but if you know Jesus, you ought to, by and large, be happy. Smile. If you're happy, notify your face. You know? It's, you ever meet people? I meet these people that are Christians, and they are like look like they were weaned on a pickle. Just, oh, ugly, scrunched up. No! I don't want to know you're Jesus. You are unhappy all the time. And you meet Buddhists that are like, you know? We don't know why, but they do that. And, you know, it, it, why? It's your personal. Oh, and here's a little one, too. You go out to eat on Sunday, leave a tip. Servers hate to work on Sundays. People running restaurants in Nashville hate 
Sundays because they can't get their servers to work because they get the worst tips in the world. Guess who's going to lunch? People who just left church. What is wrong with that? If you can't afford to leave a tip for your server, go home. You're damaging the kingdom. Leave a bit. Be generous. Don't leave a brochure on how to meet Jesus under your plate. What? Unless you put a $100 bill in it, don't do that. What's wrong with you? I, I, I've done it. I mean, I've been guilty. We were broke little kids. We'd take our little kids out to eat. We had no money, leave no tip. It was the only time of the week we went out to eat. And then one guy just got up in my face like I'm doing right now. And I went, I'll, I'll never do it again. I mean, you take your $100,000, $70,000, $50,000 car up, and you give a guy a dollar to park your $30,000 car? What? And it's got a fish on the back of it, and a license plate says, I love Jesus. It's just little stuff, y'all, isn't it? If we're going to take up space, it needs to be clean water when we're taking up space. The second area we need to take up space is professionally. Those of you that are leaders, own your own businesses, you should be the best at what you're doing. Last eight years, we've won best place to work in our category. Real proud of that. You know why? Because we're the best place to work in our category. Are we perfect? No. I've messed up so many things. I've done so many bad things as a leader, but I'm doing more good than bad because it matters. The number of times that somebody relative that doesn't know Jesus meets Jesus because of the way we treated their relative when they worked on our team. It's amazing, the stories. If you're a Christian employer, it should look like it. Oh, by the way, if you're a Christian employee, it should look like it. If you're an employee and you tell people you're Christian, here's an idea. While you're at work, work! Be somebody that they go, I want more of those. I want another one that looks like that. Have an attitude, a good attitude. Come in a, a little early, leave a little late, work while you're at work. Stay off of Facebook unless your job is social media. you got work to do. They're paying you. Act like it. Be somebody that people want a, another one of those. I want another one of those. I want to be clean water. Tell the truth. Be worthy of trust. Trustworthy. I've got a good friend who's a orthopedic every time one of our family members breaks a bone we get, he gets to operate on us and so he scoped my wife's knee not long ago after snow skiing and my son's collarbone a while before that in a ice hockey got checked into the boards and busted a collarbone and um paul thomas dr paul thomas he's a believer and he doesn't go to this church but he's been a friend of mine for years and um you go into paul you get ready to get operated on with paul uh guess what prayer is part of the equation you get prayed for he asks, but he asks in such a way that even if you're like a crazy atheist or something, you can't, you can't really turn him down. He's like, you know, I'm a Christian. Do you mind if I pray for you? Uh, well, no, sure. Yeah, I mean, how, what are you gonna, and yeah, so we definitely not going to. He's taking up space. Clean water. Another guy wins best place to work in this area, has a heating and air ministry. 
His name is Bill Lee. Best place to work every year, too. And um, if you know Bill, you know he's a godly man. He's not a perfect guy, but he's a good man. He sits on a bunch of philanthropic boards all over the city, and his employees will tell you he takes care of them. He's a good guy. Get your stuff worked on by Lee. It'll be fixed. Not perfect every time, but they'll fix it. They're not ripping people off. They, they understand they're in a ministry. It's a weird kind of thing. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, Dave, I'm, I'm leaving business and going into the ministry. No, you're not. No, you're not. And you quit saying that. Because in business and in the marketplace and in the highways and byways, you may be more in ministry and more in evangelism than anybody who ever worked in a church. You just, you can, if you want to go work for the church, that's okay. I'm not mad at you for that. That's a good thing. Just, just tell folks I'm going into a different kind of ministry. I'm going into full-time ministry. No, you already were. You just didn't know it. You already were. My friend Rabbi Lapin, who wrote the book, Thou Shall Prosper, says, God is inordinately pleased when we are obsessively, compulsively preoccupied with the needs of others. It's a full-time job to be in ministry. You see, the Jewish mindset is that the word workship is very similar to the word worship. That when you're at work, you're worshiping. How you do your, how you lay bricks, it's, you lay your bricks, as the Bible says, as unto the Lord. How you write that book is as unto the Lord. How you do child care is as unto the Lord. How you wash the car is as unto the Lord. Your ministry and by the way, not profit is not a sign of ministry. Not for profit is a designation by the IRS, which last I checked doesn't anoint anything. It's not in second hesitations. Only holy work is done by nonprofits. It's not in there. Not for profits, by the way, that aren't profitable go out of business. It's an accounting function. It's not even real. They have to make a profit. They have to, churches have to take in more than they have go out or they close, y'all. I mean, it's basic math. Somehow we designated that as holy and this other is not. And that's just not biblical. It's not true. The last thing is, is we can displace financially. Money in the hands of the believer takes up space. Money builds orphanages. Money builds hospitals. Money in the hands of the believer drills wells buys mosquito nets. Money shows up when there's a hurricane. Money in the hands of the believer takes up space for the kingdom. And yet we've got this whole thing going around in Christianity that money's evil. And the Bible doesn't say money's evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it is. But money in the hands of the believer is a tool and has been used for centuries to take up space. For the kingdom. Dallas Willard says in the Spirit of the Disciplines that if believers declare money as evil and thereby move away from the management of money for the good of the kingdom, then it leaves the only money in the world in the other side's hands. And of course, we'll see drug use and prostitution and human trafficking and suffering of all kinds go up exponentially. The only reason it's not is there's this check and balance right now where believers use this stuff to take up space and hold a position called giving and generosity. It could be something as simple as a tip. But it's displacing just the same. And we have to be careful that we don't have this false Middle Tennessee Christian humility which looks more like humiliation 
You know, I've met these Christians who they want to sing the praise and worship song like, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a horrible person, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm. I'm not singing that song. I'm not even sure it's a song, but I'm not singing that song. I'm not a worm. I'm a king's kid. I play around the foot of the Father's throne. The Bible says I'm a royal ambassador and I'm going to walk into the courts of power any opportunity I get and stand there and take up space as an ambassador for this kingdom. That's who I am. I'm not incompetent. I'm not lacking in excellence. I'm not lacking in intelligence. I'm not lacking in confidence because I've seen what Jesus can do. And I know he did it. I'm fine with that. But I don't have to grovel at the foot of the world. Nor am I going to. I'm not going to apologize for being successful. Not even once. Not even once. Not a chance. C.S. Lewis says that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. You're just other-centered is real humility instead of self-centered. That's all you are. You're other people-centered. I was in Las Vegas a few months back. Radio business gave me this award thingy. So I was there with all these talk radio people from New York, L.A., and all these kinds of places. They all think I'm kind of wacky because compared to them, I'm kind of wacky. But you need to know, going to a, going to a talk radio convention is kind of like going to a Star Trek bar. So, But... Um, yeah, these are some unusual human beings, I'll just tell you. And, uh, but anyway, they were giving me this thing, and so I got up to talk when I was getting the little thing, and, and they said, um, I said, y'all don't have the blessing of having been brought up in Tennessee, so you don't know what this means, but I'll explain it to you. I'm a turtle on a fence post. Now, some of you weren't raised well, so you don't know what that means either, but, um, but I'll tell you what it means. If you ever walk in a country lane and you see a fence post with a turtle up on top of it, there's a lot of things when you see that that you don't know. But there is one thing we are all sure of when we see that. He didn't get there by himself. And I'm a turtle on a fence post. My Jesus has changed my life. I mean, the Son of God died for me. I'm a king's kid. I just, I mean, I, I get just a little glimpse of what that must be like for God looking at you. How crazy he is about you, how crazy he is about me. I got grandbabies now, which if I'd have known how great that was going to be, I'd have been nicer to their parents. <laughs> but I just saw my granddaughter outside a few minutes ago, and all you people just went into a blur. And I just saw her. My little grandson comes in the house, and I hear the front door closes, and he's like two, so he's just, you know, kind of waddling along and just learning to talk a little bit. And he yells, hey, Papa Dave. The world stops. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's just a little glimpse of how your Heavenly Father feels about you. He's going to put you places where you have the opportunity to be a royal ambassador. And when you're humble and you understand he did it, then you get to be grateful because you, you can't help but look up and say, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And immediately following gratitude is contentment. I'm highly ambitious and content at the same time. They're not even on the same spectrum. That's kind of weird. So in our latest book, we wrote about wealth as a displacement, the value of wealth, the view of wealth from a Christian perspective. And I wrote a really good chapter in here on contentment. 
it's in here too. So I thought since we were talking about that today, we brought several cases of them. Sharon and I said to just give everybody a copy if you want one um, as our gift. Um, we've been part of this church a long time. It's meant a lot to us. And um, so we got enough out there. I think there's still enough if the first service didn't glom them all. But, um, but I think there's enough for every family to have one. We want you all to have one. Let's all go be displacers. Let's take up space intentionally, wisely, thoughtfully, compassionately. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these folks. We ask, Lord, that you show us what you want done, how you want it done, and that you give us God appointments to take up space. In Jesus' name, amen.